Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. Hey, everybody, what's cracking? So, for those who don't know me, what's up? My name is Richard. I have the privilege of calling this place my home as the lead pastor. Um, that title means nothing. Um, uh, well, actually, that title does mean something, but I'm not so invested in my title. Um, I have the greatest team ever assembled. Um, I am the least of the team, y'all. Every great thing about New Beginnings Fellowship is because of Amber Harmon and Amber Cox and and, and Ryan Knight and Matt Harmon and Jeremy Engel and Chad Spencer. Like, like, like y'all, they are so incredible. So if you get a chance and you see those jokers, give them a hug, give them a high five, because I could not be here if it weren't for the grind that they pull off. Um, so that's that. So check this out. I woke up this morning excited. In circumstances, I shouldn't be as excited. Here's the reason why. For Since last Saturday, my wife has been in Africa, right? Which I'm slick kind of upset about because how does this Mayberry white girl from those grew up on the farm got to go to Africa before I did? I'm not bitter about that whatsoever. But she's in Africa and she's just, you know, she's we have, we've been talking and everything like crazy like oh my goodness it was awesome you know I I saw you know a, a wildebeest the other day and I saw some hippos what about you I'm like well I saw a squirrel and a cat you know I'm like oh but anyway um I've been taking care of the uh girls we all we got three young daughters I've been taking care of those jokers and um Normally, my Saturdays and Sundays are chaotic until I get up here you know I feel the weight uh, um, of the sermon, there's a sense of urgency, and I am laser focused, and I don't like to be distracted with anything else. But this time, I got Larry Curly and Mo that I got to take care of, and I woke up this morning incredibly happy. I mean, I woke up fired all the way up, and I'm like, okay, you know what, girls, I'm cooking breakfast tomorrow. You know, this morning, what you want? Maggie was like, I want eggs sunny side up. And Violet was like, well, I want cereal. And Penelope was like, well, I want waffles cut up with this blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, coming right up. And I did all of that stuff. Anyway, it was just such an exciting morning. And as I'm in the bathroom getting ready, I'm like, God, what is up? Why am I so excited? And he's like, you should be. Um, I'm doing a new thing. I'm like, like, you could feel this all of the time. I'm doing something awesome. You're celebrating what I got planned for you. So let's keep this ball rolling. I have no idea what's going to happen within the hearts of everybody this morning, but I know what's going to ha- but I know what's happening inside of mine. And so if anybody's going to be excited about it, it's me. I'm just giving you an overflow of what God has given me. So you can it can be awkward and I can be the only one getting excited or we can do it together. I prefer the latter. Everybody, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 4 through 13. As you're flipping to that, we are kind of in an unscripted sermon. Two weeks ago, we were supposed to be in the book of Philippians, but for for some reason, God is like, nope, I want you to talk about the most important thing. God said that all of the law and all of the prophets are hinged on one big thing. Everything that we do must be saturated in this one thing, and that's all that matters, and that is Love, love. And so Siri just said, my watch just said, I'm not sure I understand. I'm sure you don't, Siri. Right? And so it's about love, everybody. Um, our 
motto, we're the church that radically loves, serves, and encourages. And we put love, serve, and encourage in that order for a reason, because people can serve without loving. People can encourage without loving. But if you love everybody, then you will automatically serve and encourage. So we want to make sure our main thing is love, right? First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. It's a sort of a long one, so let's read it. Paul says this to the saints in Corinth, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Loves, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is huge right here. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, ah, amen for this. This is a promise. But when the perfect comes, who do you think the perfect comes from? The perfect comes for us, everybody. For when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Have we forgotten that everything that we do would be worth it, saints? Everything that we do to radically love, serves, and encourage would be worth it because one day we will be face to face with perfection, face to face with God for all eternity. If that doesn't give me fired up to keep grinding, I don't know what is. For we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, amen, even as I have been known fully. And then he concludes the book by saying, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your radical love. And we pray, Father, because we are recipients of this radical love, Father, that we will be givers of this radical love. Your word says the world will know that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. God, and I pray for an abundant amount of that love, Lord God. Love is much more than a feeling, Lord God. Love is a verb. I pray we will go and love our world radically. So they will scratch their head and they're like, what is going on? And we can point them to love itself. You, forgive us for our sins, Lord God. Forgive us for our selfish ways. We pray, Father, that we will hear the word, understand the word, apply it, and reteach it, making disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Start off with a story, y'all. So Joe, there were two guys, Joe and Bill. Great friends. They grew up together. They went to the same school. They graduated together, y'all. They were in e- they were best men at each other's wedding. I mean, y'all, you name it. They were as thick as thieves, incredibly close. They had a strong relationship, and they cared about one another like crazy. And, well, unfortunately, over time, Bill developed a drinking problem. 
And it got so badly, y'all, that Bill lost most of his stuff. He lost his job. He lost his family. And he lost most of his friends, all except his childhood friend, Joe. Anyway, Joe got tired of seeing Bill self-destruct and uh, with, with his addiction, so he decided to do something radical about it, okay? So Joe met Bill at the local tavern Bill would be in all of the time, and he sat by uh, Bill at the bar. Bill was like, what are you doing here? You're never here. And, and, and Joe didn't say much. He looked at the bartender. He goes, give me a big old tall glass of whiskey and give me a big old tall glass of water. And Bill's like, whoa, Joe's drinking? Okay, this is a party now. And so the bartender came out with the big old glass of whiskey and the big old glass of water. And then uh, Joe reached in his pocket and he pulled out two mealworms. Two mealworms. He placed the mealworm, uh, one mealworm inside of the whiskey and one mealworm inside of the water. And immediately, the mealworm that was in the whiskey fell down to the bottom of the glass, lifeless. Lifeless. The mealworm was dead. The other mealworm was just full of life, was just wiggling all on the top of the glass. And uh, Joe looked at Bill and said, Bill, do you understand what I'm telling you? And Bill looked at the glass, both of the glasses, and then he really focused on the one mealworm that was dead at the bottom of the whiskey glass. And Bill was like, yeah, Joe, I understand. And Joe goes, then tell me, what is the moral of the story? Bill, what's the moral of the story here? And Bill said, well, not only does whiskey just get you drunk, it is one heck of a dewormer. Bill missed the point, everybody. Now, I'm not saying that as like a corny joke like I normally do. This actually adds to the sermon. Y'all, Bill, obviously, he missed the point. Why am I telling you this? In Paul's letter to the saints of the Corinthians, he was challenging them because they have missed the point completely. They lost focus on what was most important, and love, everybody, is the most important. It's love. And ironically, God is love, right? Losing focus on love is losing focus on God himself. And the saint's main focus should be on God. Let's go back to the scripture we heard a lot whenever we were little, but us, us adults, we don't say it too much often, right? And it comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will, should, should be added to you. Check this out. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as a result, consequently, by seeking God and him first, then all of these things should be added to you. When we make God our main focus, everything else in a saint's life would align. Let me say that again. When we make God our main focus, everything else in a saint's life would align. It's as if love is the general and the love is telling all of the soldiers, all of the gifts of the spirit, attend hut, and then boom, they get in line. And then the soldier, which is love, say, go here, all of the gifts will go there. Prophecy, teaching, evangelism, hospitality, it doesn't matter. If love says a tin hut, if love is the commander, everything else will follow suit. Everything else. Everything else in your life. 
will follow suit. But you remove love, everything is misaligned. I remember talking to somebody with chronic migraines. They had migraines like crazy, and they were trying all of these different medicines. Nothing worked. And somebody said, well, you should go to a chiropractor. Jared, plug in. By the way, Jared's a chiropractor. Go see him. He's awesome, right? And and, and, she, and she was telling me about this. Yo, I had bad migraines, and I went to a chiropractor, and after a while, my migraines stopped. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, I don't understand the science behind that whatsoever. But, hey, I believe you. Why? Now, Jared probably understand why. But there is something special that whenever you have an alignment, hear this, y'all, whenever you have an alignment in your spine, then something in your brain just clicks, and you're all good. Why am I telling you this? Many times we experience the headaches of life, headaches in our marriages, headaches in our friendships, headaches in our jobs, you name it. And so many headaches could be remedied with spiritual alignments, men and women. Are you seeking God first? Are you getting that spiritual adjustment or are you seeking yourself? Aligning yourself to God will fix many headaches. Amen. So just observe your life. Figure out what is cattywampus. What do I need to do to align myself with Christ? And then watch God align everything like how it's supposed to be. How it's supposed to be. Again, Jesus said that we ought to seek God's will first. That's the most important. Because from there, from that alignment, all of these things will be added to us. From that alignment, he'll give us everything that we need to carry out his mission, his purposes, his game plan with his strength, his hope, his community. We have access to everything that belongs to God if you're a believer. Everything. Last time I checked, my Bible says that we are co-heirs to the throne with him. Co-heirs. That's huge, right? Our name isn't just on the lease because it looks good. Our name is on the lease because we own the property. God is like, you are co-heirs. And if you are co-heirs to the throne, then we are blessed. It also says in Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, every single one we have as a saint, right? That's huge. And we get all of those in full whenever we make love our main thing. All of these things will be added to us, y'all. The things that matter. I'm not using this for watered-down prosperity gospel teaching. And as a matter of fact, I hate how the word prosperity has been hijacked because prosperity is in the Bible. But when I'm talking, when we're talking about prospering, we're not talking about prospering on this earth. Last time I checked, this earth is in my home. You know, I am a spiritual being. I am being. I am seated with him in the heavenly realms. Ephesians again. So God, what do I need to get as a citizen of heaven? If I'm seated with you in the heavenly realms, then what do I need to get? Right? And then all of these things that matter, joy, strength, hope, perseverance. These are all of these things. If I first seek men and women, love. That's the most important. Now, remove God, which is love, from that equation, and everything we do is unacceptable by God. Everything. It would not be blessed. It, and, and, and everything that we do without God will eventually crumble. It may look good right now, but eventually that, ball, that bottom is going to fall out. It will crumble. And the church in Corinth was crumbling because people did everything for themselves. 
They did everything for themselves. They even used their spiritual gifts, which were given by God to glorify themselves. They ranked these spiritual gifts based on how much glory that, that these gifts would give to themselves. So Paul catches wind of that, and Paul was like, wait, 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 hold on. Using all these spiritual gifts for yourselves? I like, And you think that one spiritual gift is more important than the other, check this out. He says this in, 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 in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. He's telling everybody, excuse me, he's telling everybody like, yo, God has, has given everybody all of these spiritual gifts. Again, God is the giver of these spiritual gifts. Don't, like, like, think about that. God is giving you that. Do you actually think, like, looking about God's character, he's challenging them. Do you think that God thinks one person is more important than the other? And they know the obvious question of that. Well, no. They're like, and God is the one who's giving you these gifts, right? Yeah. Then why the heck are you measuring your importance to another saint by the gift given with God, by giving from God to you? And God said, ain't none of one of y'all is more important than anybody else. All of y'all are all maxed out in how amazing you are because I am the one who gives you that title. I'm the one who gives you that value. It's me. He's like, God is the one who's given all of these gifts. And then he throws them softball questions here. I love this. And then he gives them completely obvious, easy softball answers, you know, just lobbing it to them. And Paul goes, okay, everybody, listen. Is every single one of y'all apostles? Are all y'all apostles? Are you all prophets? Are you all teachers? Do you all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Everybody, we know the answer to that. They knew the answer to that. The obvious question is no. No. God has not given everybody the same gifts, nor has he called anybody to have the same role into the body of Christ. It's an obvious answer. And he goes, if that is the obvious answer, no, then why on earth do you earnestly desire the higher gifts? There's no such thing as a higher gift whatsoever. You know what? Think about this. Again, y'all, they were using these gifts for selfish reasons, right? Gifts given for God for selfish reasons. Check this out. Whenever I was little, everybody, and I fought with my siblings over a gift that my parents got me, I, I, do you know what they did? They eventually took the gift away. Every parent in here should say amen because I know that's the truth, right? You think about this. You give a kid a gift and then the sibling's like, oh my gosh, I want to play. They're like, no. You're like, give me that gift, sucker. I will rip out every battery out of this toy and throw it out. Why? Because the toy, even though it's valuable, it's not the most important here. You've missed the point. The gift that I've given you needs to be used to, it needs to be shared with other people. You can use the gift that I gave you to build up another person immediately as a parent you take your mind off of the gift and you're like there's something deeper in that it's the same thing with God God is like I'm giving you a gift of teaching and do you know what teaching does it equips the saints 
for the work of the ministry. But you're using the gift of teaching to edify yourselves? You selfish punk. I'm ripping the batteries out of that sucker. Now, amen that God gives us grace, men and women. But the more selfish we become, the less potent our gift is. And our gift, again, is to radically love everybody. Like, that's why God has given us the gifts in the first place, so we can point, like, the direction towards him, not us. Paul is like, these gifts, it's deeper than that. And so he explains this, and then he drops a bomb on them in 13, and he says that I can have all of these gifts, right? Cole, I still got a couple more pages left, buddy. <laughs> I mean, man, you came out here early. <laughs> and Paul said that I can have all kinds of gifts, all of these gifts. And I can have them at the highest level. But if I ain't got love, if these gifts aren't saturated, then I am nothing. I have nothing whatsoever. Paul said that. Now, imagine you are a saint in Corinth and, and you heard Paul say that, like the saints, they loved Paul. They revered Paul. Like, like, you know, they appreciated Paul. Everything that Paul said, they clung, they clung to his words. And so Paul is saying, like, yo, it's not about the gifts. It's about love. Hear this, everybody. Side point. Paul used his sphere of influence to highlight love. Paul has several gifts. Several gifts and several stories to go with each gift. If anybody was persecuted, it was Paul, right? But Paul was like, oh, I'm going to use who I am to highlight love. Men and women, whatever gift that you have, whatever place that you, whatever the place that God sends you, like you have a duty to highlight love. Love. Be a light in the darkness. We should do that more often. And so y'all hear me, the saints back then in Corinth, they were geeked up with, with learning about the gift of teaching. They were geeked up with learning about the gift of tongues, of healing, you name it. But big homie Paul said like, yo, love is the number one. And so these people were like, well, Paul said love is the number one. Well, Paul, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Like Paul said, so what is love, right? And then Paul gives them the answer. So let's break this down. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4, love is patient and love is kind. I've said this before, y'all, but the Greek word for patience is the word makurathmeos. Makurathmeos. It is a compound word, uh, meaning one, meaning from makros, which means long-lasting, and thymos, which means um, a, a, a boiling with anger. So if you put those two together, patience means it takes a long time for you to flip your lid, right? And there's a reason why, church. There's a reason why. why. And why does he say love is patient? Because love expects, y'all hear this, this is huge for each and every person in here. Love expects progress in a situation. It hopes for no matter how dark that situation may be. 
You expect something to break and something great to happen. You have patience. You wait, even though that person is a knucklehead and they're getting on your last reserve nerves. You are waiting for them to have a softened heart. And as soon as you see a twinge of a soft heart, you are right there to water that soft heart and that soft heart can grow. You're right there with it. Patience is like a good quarterback. Check this out. It doesn't matter how great a quarterback is. If you don't have a good offensive lineman, your team is crap, right? Crap. I'm praying that the Cowboys lose, by the way. Side note. All right? I said it. I said it. I said it. So check this out. I said it. I said it, that gummit. So check this out. Chiefs, you too. I want all of y'all to lose. No, If the Rams ain't winning, nobody winning. I don't want nobody winning Super Bowl this year. But Sorry, I digress. Check this out. Now, this is what a good quarterback does. He relies on his offensive lineman. Now, it doesn't matter if good defensive backs are with the receivers constantly. No, it doesn't matter how good a receiver is, a, a, a defensive back is. You cannot contain a receiver, you know, for, you know, for multiple amount of seconds. You can't do it. Eventually, there's going to be a break and something is going to get open, right? And so what a quarterback does is just waits. He he just waits. Oh my goodness, the pressure of alignment come. I'm still going to wait. I'm still going to wait. And as soon as he sees a break, just the smallest amount of break, he's going to take He's gonna take advantage of that opportunity. Throw that ball and you're going to progress. Let me tell you this something, y'all. It may seem like the situation that you're in is locked up and the D-backs of life are just surrounding you and they're blocking every progression that you got. But if you just love, just wait just a little bit, something is going to break. That ball is going to come into your progression and you're going to progress to look more like Jesus in every game of life that you're going to experience y'all so think about this y'all that's exactly what God did for us that's exactly what God did for us some of y'all in here you didn't get saved until you were adults some I met a guy that didn't get saved you know until he's like 55 years old you know what that tells me God hung in the pocket for 55 years and then he saw a small little break and he threw it. And because of him waiting at pursuing for 55 years, he's going to be a citizen of heaven. If God waits with patience, then so should we. Just wait. I know it may seem like that person ain't going to get it. I know it seems like that knucklehead person just keeps lying and keeps, you know, talking bad about you, keeps whatever. Just wait. Just wait. You keep loving them. Something is bound to break. Something is bound to break. Amen. And you may be bent, but you're not broken. All right. Let's move forward. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kind means to be pleasant. I, like when you're kind, you're easy to be around. You're all for light in somebody's darkness. You offer a hug or a handshake when you see somebody, you smile at them. If they give you a corny dad joke before a sermon, you at least give them a courtesy laugh. Like kindness, everybody is so powerful. It's like we've forgotten the potency of kindness. And according to my Bible, kindness is a fruit of the spirit, meaning God created and cultivated kindness, gave it as a gift, and was like, yo, the world will know you are my disciples by these spiritual gifts. Boom, here it is. But 
a lot of times, you know, we, we say phrases like don't, exp- don't, you know, don't, 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 uh, what was it? Don't uh, take my kindness for weakness. Like, I hate that term. You would not tell a bodybuilder like, oh, dear, don't take my muscles for me, you know, weakness. No, it's a muscle. It's meant for strength. It's the same thing for kindness, right? There's so much strength in kindness. You know what kindness is? Kindness is communicating to somebody, I appreciate you that you're here. I appreciate you that you're in my life. And did you know that that can mean life and death in the life of somebody else? A life and death. Like when people give up hope, they're useless. Nobody appreciates them. Church, many people in here, you felt that way. But somebody was kind and they told you that you mattered. That you appreciate them being here. And it made all of the difference. I am here because people are kind, men and women. Kind is you go into Olive Garden and you finish with your meal and they hand you those ever so delicious little chocolate mints, right? And they hand me two and I'm like, man, I am a 250 pound guy. What am I gonna do with two mints? Hook a brother up, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm sick that sucker in there. I'll be eating mints for three days. It's delicious. But what are they, what, what, why do they give you those mints? They're like, hi, thank you so much for dining with us. Come back. And I'm like, oh, I will. <laughs> Appreciate you. Right? It makes you feel good. You go to Chick-fil-A. Hi, it's a pleasure. How may I take your order? <gasps> thank you, Chick-fil-A. Right? Imagine, y'all, if what the world will look like if everybody looked at everybody else and said, I appreciate you for being in my life. Imagine what our world will look like. So Paul says that love is patient, love is kind, and he really hits them hard and he exposes exactly where they're doing wrong. And he says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. Everybody, envy is the internal or external hatred of what a person has. Now, believe it or not, there are so many people in this world that don't want you to succeed. They want you to just be as miserable as they are in a particular situation. Or maybe you're the guilty one maybe you know somebody comes alongside you and you want to bring them down in the dumps with you either way men and women that ain't love that ain't and God ain't in God is not in any part of that any part of that it's and I think sometimes whenever we are down in the dumps right and, and we go to people there how are you doing like oh man I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I'm this that and the third And I think sometimes like we see that and we just want to bring our countenance down low with them. Like we could be having a fantastic day. We're like, oh, no, I got to be sensitive. Oh, yeah, I'm down. Oh, man, I'm sorry that you're down. And yeah, I feel it, too. Yeah, it's been a tough week or something like that. I'm like, oh, God has given you a fantastic day. So how about you use that fantastic day to uplift somebody who's having a bad day? You know what I mean? Am I making sense? And because sometimes, well, I'm going off a tangent here, but listen, don't be envious. You know, it says in Romans 12, 15, we should rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, i never forget it. It's so cool. I remember um, this was when Violet, our, our, our seven-year-old, was really little. She was so scared of um, jumping in the pool and having her head completely submerged. She was just scared of it. But one day she just got, she mustered enough courage and she was like, yeah, yeah, 
you know, she just jumped and her head was uh, fully emerged and she got up and she was like, Mom, Dad, I got my head under the water. Thank you, God. And Penelope and Violet heard her and they were like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I'm looking at Heidi. We're laughing and me and Heidi was like, thank you, God. And so we were just all just random like, thank you, God. It was the weirdest deal ever, but we rejoiced because a little knothead girl got her head wet under the water. But it, I would never forget that small, tiny moment because we just rejoiced because she was rejoicing. It was a big deal to her, so it was a big deal to me. Everybody, love, it's just simply rejoicing with somebody if it's a big deal deal to them if they got new tires on their truck and and, and you're like well I get, I get new tires every you know few years or whatever it ain't about you they got new tires on that truck so that gummit have a good year no pun intended and say hey amen I, it's okay to rejoice with your brothers and sisters that was a good joke forget you that was a good one all right that was a good one see there's that kindness none of y'all gave me a courtesy laugh I it says that love does not boast. Simply said, y'all, boasting heralds the greatness of yourself. That's what boasting is, right? The saints in Corinth were boasting about how incredible they were. And whenever you boast how incredible you are, you're in the limelight. And again, I, I, you are not supposed to be in the limelight. It's all about God. We become misaligned whenever we boast about ourselves. And that misalignment will bring about a chaotic life. You want to see churches that are chaotic? Men and women, they're about boasting about themselves. Look how awesome my worship team is. Look how awesome, you know, this service is. Look how polished and clean that we are. You know, the pastor preaches with a handsome guy behind him just waiting at his beck and call to play the acoustic guitar, right? <laughs> right? So you think about it, everybody, like, I guarantee you that church may look polished. Crap is chaotic and the bottom is going to fall out and there will crumble. They will. But when you boast about the goodness of God, everybody, it may not look this polished. It may, it, it, the, 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 the harmonies in the worship team may not get all together. You may get a sweaty, bald head pastor that mumbles every other phrase. But if you boast in your weaknesses, oh my goodness, there's so much power that's going on with that, men and women. Paul tells them in 2 Corinthians verse 12, in the second half of verse 9, he says that I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Hear this church, there's power when you remove yourself from the limelight and place God in it. And if you think about it, we think the opposite. No, I need to be in the limelight so I can get the power, so I can get the prestige, so I can get the notoriety. People need to see me. But God is like, no, no, no. boast in your weaknesses, why you don't deserve that seat and why I give you the strength to be in that seat and watch me exalt you. If you want power men and women remove yourself from the limelight replace it with God and watch power flow through you it's not about you I don't need those papers anyway right then he also says that love is not irritable or resentful he's saying that love is not overly sensitive or easily angered even during election season 
It's coming. It's coming. Church, you got to learn how to take a hit. Good night. We got so many Christians with glass jaws. You get hit and you, oh, man, you knocked down. You want to fight back. Like, where are, like, Christians, we need to have poise. We need to have class. The word doesn't say, and the, and, and the world would know that you're, whenever you die, God is not going to be like, oh, well done, good and faithful Republican. You laugh right now, but watch. I'm going to say it here in a couple years, and you're going to be stepping on some toes. God ain't going to be like, oh, my goodness. You voted, you voted far right. Mm, my gates are wide open. Oh, man, that far left person said this about you. Oh, boy. Whoa, you really showed them. Really? Really? I've never had a single president visit me in my home. Not a single one. I had Mike in there. And what if we hypothetically voted so far differently? Let's just say we did. You think God is going to honor me more and love me more than he loves Mike? It's not happening. We get wrapped up with crap that doesn't matter. Yes, I said it. I said it. We get wrapped up with crap that doesn't matter. You're silly if God is like, I want you to be a Democrat. I want you to be a Republican. God is like, I want you to be a saint, period. Period. Moving forward. Then he said, it does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with truth. Everybody, love rejoices when God's truth prevails. God is a fan of justice. Not our justice, not our justice that we may think or we may assume or justice that falls alongside whatever political party that we go alongside, but love, like, like it's God's justice. It's not about you hit me, I hit you back. God's ordained justice. And then Paul finishes the chapter by writing, love bears all things, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's the reason why he says that. And then it looks like he flips the script a little bit, but he doesn't. Oh, this is so good. Oh, I can't wait to tell you all this. He says, as for prophecies, all you know, the gift that all of these saints were wanting, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. They will remember... These were the things that these saints were fighting over, going back and forth over and over again. They were saying, like, these are the best. And Paul was like, prophecies will pass away. Tongues will stop. Knowledge will pass away. Wait a minute. Like, these are incredibly important, right? Prophecies? What are you prophesying? You're prophesying about the mysteries of God. Like, like, like you're talking about the truth. You know, what is about tongues? Same thing. Like, like, what about knowledge oh my goodness you hearing about the knowledge of God these are huge things and Paul was like yeah they, they will pass away they'll pass away and then he says in verse 9 seems like that it's off but it's not for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes ooh, when the perfect comes the partial will pass away when I was a child I spoke 
like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Like I was a kid, but then I grew up. Like I was a kid. Like that's who what I was. But then the kid part was over with. He said in verse 12, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. Then he says, 13 ends the chapter. Now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Church, I will end with this. Remember, Paul is talking about the importance of love. Prophecies are important. Knowledge is important. Evangelism, important. Tongues, incredibly important. The Bible speaks of these, herald the greatness of these. But, but it's like Paul just dissed all of that stuff. You know why, everybody? Because there's an expiration date. God told me this and it blew my mind. Hear this. There's an expiration date on all of the spiritual gifts. What do I mean? As far as prophecy, what are we prophesying? We're prophesying the excellencies of Christ. Well, one day God is going to be here, right? And there will be no need to prophesy about the excellencies and the mysteries of Christ. Why? Because we will be fully known, right? We will fully know that. At the end of the, it says that like faith and hope, like in love abide, but the greatest is love. There's the reason why. What do we have faith in? We have faith that one day God is going to come and scoop us up, right? And we will be in with him in the new Jerusalem, a perfect place. No more tears, no more crying, no more darkness. It will be a perfect place. And I have complete faith that I'm going to be there. Now, what about hope? I'm having hope that one day he is going to come. And so even though he hasn't come yet, I know he's coming. So because I have hope I have that grind I have that grit I have that strength to keep going knowing that eventually it's going to come so that faith and that hope they're working alongside together but whenever he comes when he comes there's no need for faith there is no need for hope because my faith will be complete my hope will comp be complete my prophecy will com be, be complete I my knowledge will be fully known there will be no need for any spiritual gift but you know what's one thing that will last so why on earth am I spending all of my time neglecting love and trying to be the most dynamic preacher that I can be why on earth am I spending all of my time of figuring out I'm beating my head on tongues? Why don't I have the gift of tongues? All these other people got it and I make me feel like less of a Christian. Why are we doing that? Why are we comparing ourselves to other people? I wish I had the faith like such and such and such and such. All of these things will pass away. So what do I need to focus on? I need to focus on the commander of love, the commander of prophecy, the commander of tugs, the commander of knowledge, of teaching, of evangelism, of hospitality. I need to focus on love. And when I focus on love, all of these things, the tin hut, 
that will follow, that will fall in suit, and I will live my life aligned to Christ, honoring God, and everything else will be added to me because of that. Church, if you want to be a dynamic believer, if you want your sphere of influence to go across the sea, if you want your sphere of influence to be so potent, so strong, just love. That's it. Love. We are the church that radically loves, serves, and encourages. We could take out encourage. We can take out serve. Just put love there, and you're going to radically serve. You're going to radically encourage. Your number one is love. And what does love do? Everything. <laughs> Love forgives. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, is being humble. Love is having faith. Love is having hope. Now, if you have love, you have everything. So, church, if you hear me say anything, hear me say this. Love because he first loved us. Now, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, right, and I'm especially for men here. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're not, if you're a woman in here, if you don't know Jesus, submit to his love. He loves you as is. All you have to do to submit to that love, God, thank you so much for this love. Help me to submit to it day by day. Forgive me of my sins. Boom, you're saved. For you men, I think sometimes men, it's so hard for us to express love. It's crazy how God gives you love immediately. You get a baby and you see that baby for the first time in your life. Holy crap. <laughs> and even though that baby cries in the middle of the night and everything, you're patient with it. And that's, you think you are great enough that you just have this automatic patience that's given by somebody, right? You think that feeling that you get that you love that child is just, like you just came up with it? No, no. God is trying to tell you something. How you feel about that baby, I feel about you times a billion. You're patient with that baby and you're kind with that baby. You forgive your children. You do all of these things. And God is like, that's how I am with you times a million. All you have to do is submit to this love, everybody. It's in you. God is knocking on your heart saying, all you got to do is follow me. Well, God, I don't know how to love. I don't know how to worship. I don't know how to raise my hands and worship. I don't, I'm not sure, uh, you know, how to understand Greek and Hebrew. I don't understand the most basics of scriptures in the Bible. God, God is like, we will work on that. Do you love? Right? I will got you. I got you. Just come to me. I will take care of everything else. If you are in here and you have no idea how to go to Christ, all you have to do in your heart is like, okay, God, I don't get this, but I want to get it. And you're saved. He'll take care of everything from that. Submit to Christ. Amen. For you saints, oh, there's an overpouring of love. That's just, you know, there's like this big old, I'm going to shut up. There's just this big old that of love that's just ready to overpour our entire area. All you have to do is unleash that sucker. That's all you got to do. Love hard and watch our community, watch our world change. And the world will know that you're my saints by the love that you have for one another. Everybody, let's pray.
Father, thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you. And we pray, Father, that we will love one another. That's simple. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week. And remember, we are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.